Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Justin, a.k.a. Just Tries, and we're always talking vulnerability, learning, and growth mindset. Go to Just Keep Learning for content and more episodes geared toward helping you not just set goals, but achieve them too. We have a goal to help millions of people be lifelong learners and get their own ambitions off the ground, so be sure to hit us up and let us know how we can help. Our guest today is another incredible example of putting values first when determining what to do in life, but it wasn't easy. It took a battle with mental illness and an existential crisis to bring about the change in career path that got her to where she is today. We have great conversations about pursuing your passion, putting service first, money second, and why NFTs are the future. She co-founded MVM Media, which helps brands build and execute their marketing strategy and has co-founded multiple Web3-based projects in the metaverse. She is a great role model for all entrepreneurs, but has a special power in supporting women in business. Please welcome to episode 20 of JKL, Kelsey Cole. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. I always like to ask a similar question up front, and it's if you were to introduce yourself to people, um, I have a great way of framing this right now because I have a friend who actually started a new business where she hosts dinners in her backyard. And what she does is she gets a bunch of strangers essentially together, which is kind of cool because it forces people into kind of like sharing, you know, sort of who they are and what they do. If you had that prompt, what would you say about yourself? Well, I, my like first things first, I, I love to, to say to people, whenever they ask me what I do, I say, don't ask me what I do. Ask me why I get up in the morning, because I feel like there's so many people who aren't doing what, what they love to do. And I'm lucky that I get to do that because I've like manifested that. But, um, I, what I do, I feel like is, um, now a reflection of who I am, but I think for our audience, especially, you know, we're talking to people who may not have yet kind of manifested the future. And so why do you, why do you wake up every day? It's like, because I genuinely want to make an impact. And I've been through the ringer, um, kind of both on, uh, the, you know, big brand kind of corporate life side and working with a ton of women. And then I've been on the side of like being in, and that in the fashion and cosmetic industry. So I've seen kind of that side of the world. And then I've seen the side of the world that's like male dominated tech industry and kind of lived in both of those worlds and carved my own path somewhere in between. So I've seen kind of the best and worst, I think, of, of all of it. And I think um, that's been a, a huge factor on like what what I do every single day. And so I re- like lately what I do is I've, I'm launching a new NFT, but ultimately what I want to do in the space is is really make an impact. And I think cross that bridge or like actually construct that bridge between, you know, the blockchain, crypto, NFT world, metaverse world, and the kind of corporate world, and then build another bridge to charities, you know, impact projects. Um, and then finally, uh, different world leaders and kind of, you know, government organizations. And I, I think I'm like that, that person, I believe every day, you know, in the the catalytic moment of the metaverse that is like getting everybody dancing at a wedding, like that first person on the dance floor that's like, come on out, like the music's great, you know? And I think um, it, it's, uh, I, I have like a certain energy every day that I, I bring to everything I do. And it's, it's interesting, I think as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you can relate to this, um, you know, you can, you can do like 
a little bit of everything and a, a lot a bit of everything. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I, I own, first and foremost, I would say I, I own a, a company with my husband and, and partner of 10 years. I'm sure we'll dive deep into many layers of NFTs and building businesses, entrepreneurs, etc. Um, but just before I forget to ask, the company that you and your partner have, is that MVM specifically? Uh, and tell us a little bit about that company. MVM stands for Magic versus Machine, and our service offering um, in the last few years has been really focused on digital advertising and growing e-commerce technology and entertainment companies. But uh, we also have a, a very intense layer of that that is focused on what we call venture marketing. So we do a lot of deals with startups and amazing founders that. They may have the cash flow, but it's smarter for them to partner with people who have a long-term vested interest. And so we've got a, a stake in a lot of different startups and we've invested both financially and with our time in several, including um, I think one of our biggest investments so far is Tom DeLong's company to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. And uh, we've run all of his marketing and kind of even his website, et cetera, for the last two years for a stake in his company. So that's where I think the future of Magic versus Machine is going to go is kind of more of those deals. But right now we service a, a lot of different people in um, technology, entertainment and e-commerce. So what got you into starting MVM versus working in corporate or like what was the path to go from I have a job, I'm getting a paycheck to I'm starting a company? friend in the whole world was working at Tesla. She was the number two employee in Canada. And we like wrote her job description together sitting on my couch. And I just remember thinking like, this is really the future, everything that's going on in Silicon Valley. And as a fellow Canadian, I'm sure you can remember, like we were very much, we're, I think we're part of the scene now, but we were kind of left out of it in the beginning. And so I was very fascinated specifically what was happening in Silicon Valley because it was all sort of centered there and it hadn't spread out quite like it has now. And I think we're like major power players in Canadian tech. But at the time it was, it was all taking a cue from there. So she actually had a, a trip that she was going on for Tesla and had this Airbnb in Silicon Valley that they had paid for and like invited me to just come and stay there. And I just like went and met all kinds of different people that I thought were really cool and interesting that I, I felt like maybe I could help with my skill set. And at the time I was working at Revlon, I was running PR there in Canada and I was 20, I was 25 when I kind of got in the Silicon Valley scene in that space. I think in tech in general, especially in NFTs, which I know we'll talk about later, but in tech, in the people that are major players, it always comes from like a giving first mentality. So you kind of come to the table and you say like, what kind of skill sets do I have and how do I give? And that's how you kind of get involved in sort of the major innovations. And I met a guy named Bill Tai uh, on that trip in Silicon Valley. I had no like kind of reference point whatsoever. I just, I met him. I was introduced through some amazing folks and I thought he was so cool because he told me he made his own shoes. They were like tie-dye. And he had these cool like ripped jeans on. I was like, oh, this guy's just so rad. And it turns out he's like a really prolific venture capitalist. And again, like no idea at the time, but there was a huge, not only need, but also an appetite for some more like marketing and branding stuff that was kind of coming from the world of CPG and, you know, Hollywood, et cetera, which is where I had experience. And so it was exciting for them. They could have somebody from like a Revlon perspective 
working on what they were doing. And he was at the time launching this thing called the Extreme Tech Challenge with Sir Richard Branson. And they needed somebody that could like get their social media off the ground, help with their website and write their blogs and like, you know, whatever things that I love to do that I was doing for Revlon that I could do on my, my, my nights and weekends and vacations. And so like, that's what I did. And that's kind of how I got in the scene was just volunteering in the Extreme Tech Challenge now is a very famous competition that seated a lot of big tech companies, particularly in the blockchain space. And they, at the time, it said they were looking for the next billion dollar idea, but they were really looking for like the next blockchain billion dollar idea. And uh, also for all of these guys, once you once you kind of get into the scene, you realize anybody who's a major player, their first and foremost agenda is always to make an impact. And that's been like a big part of my goal for a long time. So yeah, that's how I first got in. That was seven years ago. And Bill Tai told me about Bitcoin and kind of first got me involved in just like understanding that space. And then when I found uh Crypto Kitties at a hackathon four years ago, I messaged Bill and was like, you need to beat these guys. And so he was the first big investor in Dapper Labs, which is now an $8 billion company. They have NBA Top Shot, they're NFT legends, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like four years after that particular catalytic moment, it's really put me in a very exciting position. And yeah, that's kind of how it all, how it all started was like, some crazy girl who worked in the cosmetics industry was like, I need to be doing what all the nerds are doing down down there in Silicon Valley. And it worked out in my favor. (laughs) Well, it's really interesting because I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, people who have worked in the cosmetic industry or whatever an industry you want to name could be uh, restaurants or tourism, could be automobile, whatever, who go through maybe a similar experience, but then don't make that leap. Uh, what do you think, and you may not know, but what do you think is it in you that, that made you want to pursue that? Um, so I had like a total mental health breakdown and I was deeply affected by the attitudes and the, like the reality of the cosmetic industry. And the more ambitious I was and the more I did to kind of be innovative and at the the front of like you know, what we were doing at not just Revlon, but like in the cosmetic space at the time, nobody was working with bloggers, influencers weren't a thing. You know, I kind of pioneered a few of those things and done it, not just for Revlon in Canada, but some of the global stuff. I was so frustrated by the lack of sort of empathy in the space because they would use not just Revlon, but like all kinds of companies would use corporate social responsibility and impact as just kind of a marketing tool. And I was like so deeply invested in it that that like hurt and affected me in a way that was, I think like I reflect back on it now and I'm like, wow, that that environment was so toxic. I think it like actually deteriorated my body. And I remember my dad saying to me, like, if you stay in this job, I actually think it's going to kill you. Yeah, I just had I it was like it was like a total break. All of a sudden it was like, boom, it just all came to a head. And at the time, it was like really not trending to have depression and you know, express uh, mental health concerns because we're going back seven years ago. I went back to work after being off for several months and having a ton of help between therapists, doctors, um, you know, nutritionists. I, I was like losing, losing like usage of one of my kidneys. Like it was, it was so intense. And I went back and nobody cared. It was just like, you know, they wouldn't even look at me the same way. I was like this corporate superstar. And then all of a sudden I was, you know, the girl who had depression and had to take a burnout leave. Um, and that was it. That was the moment I just mic dropped. And I, I, uh, I said, I'm leaving 
And you're either going to package me out and do the right thing, or I'm going to take you down very publicly. And they, they did the right thing. You know, I didn't have to fight that fight, which was great. And I started my own company with, at the time, he was my boyfriend and now he's my husband. He was working at a digital agency and was like, I'm going to leave this agency and we're going to start something together. And I was like, are you sure? Because I'll just go bartend. And he was like, no, we're going to start an agency. And so we did. And we've been like kind of just flying ever since. And he was the one that, you know, helped me when when I was trying to get into Silicon Valley, like you have to have a balanced skill set. Um, you can't just have, you know, I have a lot of like magic that I can make, but you need sort of the other side of it, especially in marketing. And that's what my husband brings. Like he's a phenomenal copywriter. He's a data analyst. He's so good with, you know, social media. He's a photographer, video editor, whatever, whatever. So we together, we were able to create something pretty amazing. And, and we've turned that into, I think, a a very exciting vehicle for not just, you know, working with other companies as an agency, but like really as people who are invested in the future. And I'm, I'm so proud of what, what we built out of like, you know, someone who had a shitty time with depression. It's a really inspiring story. And first of all, congratulations to both of you on the marriage part of things and really the whole journey to this point. Thank you. With respect to the mental health piece, I can very much relate. I often say we can never put ourselves in somebody else's shoes because it's such a unique experience. But I too struggled a lot with uh, depression and anxiety, especially in my uh, high school years. So we're going back way more than even seven years ago. And it's, it's an interesting thing, though, that you can see so many people who have had uh, good come of these, you know, struggles, and you kind of spoke to it right there. Pragmatically and, and practically, did you find that it was fairly easy to just kind of jump ship, so to speak, or did you have to build a little bit of like a side hustle, or what did that look like in practical terms, going from paycheck to all right, now we're building this agency? It went from paycheck to literally no paycheck for two years because. When you build a business, you invest in the business and you invest back in like all of the things that it takes to run the business. And, you know, you're lucky if you can just like cover your expenses. Um, and so we, you know, we felt lucky from that sense that like it wasn't costing us money to run. But, you know, we had to move into my parents' basement because the reality was like, you know, we 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 were in first we were in Toronto um, and we decided like after having the agency for several months and making money from several different clients, we were like, wow, this is like this is so big and overwhelming. And there were, you know, a lot of clients that we had that kind of came to us that we ultimately didn't want. And when you spend too much time and too many resources on a client, that's not going to work out in the long run. It ends up costing you money. And so we made the very conscious decision, you know, we were, oh my God, like 26, 27 at the time, let's give up our place in Toronto and like, you know, put our lives into backpacks and travel the world and kind of bop around and, you know, have an agency component, but be content creators. And we were going to actually have a documentary on finding happiness after depression um, which was like, you know, I was so excited about and we bought these one-way tickets to Paris, which is like my happy place. Um, and we had like, literally we'd sold all of our stuff, sold our like, you know, SUV, like, you know, my parents were looking after our dogs, everything was in storage and we get to Paris and the very first day we were there, um, 
was actually six years ago, November 13th. And for anybody that was like alive that day, they saw that the Paris attacks happened. And we actually were the first people that broke the news internationally for that because we were right outside the Bataclan by coincidence and had this documentary film equipment because we were like, you know, we had all of our like backpack. We were like biking around the city and there's all of these ambulances and we get stuck in this certain area. And I speak French and like, there were all kinds of people that were trying to get past to get to their hotels and there were cops barricading. And I was like translating for people and we didn't have data on our phones yet. Cause we just got there the day before. And so we didn't know what was happening. And uh, yeah, we were literally like, it was the weirdest thing. I was next to this guy. I had like my, like, you know, Sony camera. That's like pretty decent, but I'm next to like people that have got cameras like this. I'm like, what's going on? And I say to the guy next to me, I'm like, where are you from? He's like, NBC and you. And I was like, Canada. <laughs> I was just, I didn't know what else to say. And I said, um, oh, oh, what's going on? And he's like, this is a terrorist attack. And I was like, what do you mean? And I'm, you know, I'm just so, I'm so clueless to what's happening because it was so in the moment. I didn't know all my friends and family like back home were like, oh my God, like they got this notification on Facebook. They thought we were dead. Like it was insane. This guy says to me, you know, what are you doing? And I told him I'm making a documentary on happiness. And he says, oh, it is your lucky day. You have just stumbled upon the world on happiness. And I was like, holy shit. So here where I'm like going through, you know, I have this crazy like mental health crisis. I'm like transforming my life. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be full bohemian. I'm going to get rid of like all my professional attire. I'm going traveling. I got a backpack. That's it. And my first day, it's like, bam, I didn't just wind up, you know, finding the news, but I wound up like being in the news for being there and kind of long story short, we never made that documentary on happiness because we had even deeper depression after being in a terrorist attack and hearing guns as you're biking through a city. It, it all sort of like one thing to another. It, it, it was never easy. It was never, never easy and came back and, and lived in my parents' basement for like at least a year after that while we got ourselves off the ground. Um, but no, it wasn't easy. It was never, never, never easy, but it's especially hard, I think, after you've gone through some sort of like traumatic mental health incident because you don't, you don't wanna go back into the workplace, right? Like you don't wanna just be like, I can work 40 hours a week and I'm okay and everything's fine and I'm gonna be a corporate slave because you fundamentally have changed as a human being when you've gone through that and then you've been treated that way. And then as an entrepreneur, you're determined not to fail because the anxiety kind of drives you, but it doesn't make the fact, you know, you can't pay your bills any better. It took two years before we could even come close to paying ourselves a salary. And it was minuscule in the beginning. This is some deep stuff yeah. because the audience, the core audience, let's say for my podcast and the reason why I built it was for people who struggle with mental health tied to existentialism and who they want to be and how they want to show up in the world. Yeah. And so many things that you have brought up already really speak to that topic. And I couldn't even have predicted that prior to this conversation and having just barely met you, right? One of the, the things that I think would be interesting is for people people who are really in that 
how'd you put it, the corporate slavery, the the nine to five, the kind of going through those motions. And they know that they want to do something. You know, if you met that person at the bus stop and they were like, just please just help me, you know, um, and you knew you were going to see them for 10 more minutes because they're about to get on a bus. Like, what would you say to that person? Oh, my God. I'd be like, if you're having these thoughts, you're so much further ahead. First of all, if they're going through your mind, you're so lucky because you're already a dreamer. And if you're a dreamer, you can be a doer. And anybody who's in corporate who's like thinking about, you know, wanting to get out and whether it's you want to work for a startup or you want to work for yourself or, you know, you want to make a new life. It all starts with like the dream. And for me, it always was like, I didn't know my my path. Like I never dreamt of owning an agency that kind of just like happened because I naturally have a, like the gift of the gab and I'm a storyteller and I'm like, I love marketing. It's like, I've, it's always just been a weirdly a passion of mine. And so it just kind of happens. That's an easy way for me, me to make money because I'm good at it. You know, whatever it is that you do, I think the fact that that somebody could have the realization that they don't want to be where they are, they're so much further ahead, 90% of the world. First of all, I would congratulate them for recognizing that. And then I would ask them what would make them so excited to get up on a Monday? What's going on in your life where you don't dread work the next day? What does that look like? And you know, if you could have anything in the world tomorrow and there were no restrictions, None whatsoever. Like you, you had all the money, all the resources, like this is like your Oprah moment where you could just have whatever you want. What would it be? And when you ask somebody that question, you put them on the spot like that, you get the most interesting, honest answers that people haven't even often recognized in themselves. And that's when we can start to shift the conversation on like, what's the path to get there? And oftentimes it's not jumping into entrepreneurship right away, but it's jumping into what is something that can pay me to get and what I call like an NBA and in what you want to do. So like for my husband and I, you know, we love saying whenever our clients pay us, we get an NBA and being investors and VCs because we have such a you know, a close look at what their business looks like and the kind of the changes that they've made, especially once they start in e-com, you know, once you start to get revenue and they hire more people and we've got kind of an inside lens, we look at our agency fee as, you know, somebody paying us to get an MBA in business. And so when you start to look at it that way, you kind of change your trajectory on like, what you expect from yourself, which I think is really, really important as well. So for anyone that's like in corporate now, like it's going to take, it's going to take time, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's going to take time to be the kind of entrepreneur that you want to be because it takes a really, really long time before things are as, as like glamorous as, as they seem, you know, on the outside. I'm sure you have an opinion on this just in what you do and like your advocacy with mental health there's a real problem with hustle culture and on people, you know, spending more time, I think, especially in the beginning days of entrepreneurship, trying to show off what they're doing and how hard they're working and kind of missing the opportunities to like work harder because they're so busy kind of bolstering themselves up. So if you just like see yourself as service first to other people, so you can gain that experience and then know you're going to like, you're going to shift into your goals over time. That's like first things first. I mean, this is a fast 10 minute bus conversation, but you know, it could, maybe it could change someone's life. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's like, it's starting there. And then like always having that purpose and conviction of like, if you had 
all the money in the world and you never had to work again, what would you do every day? And who are the people you'd surround yourself with? And then like always having that, not just like in the back of your mind, but at the forefront and every decision you make kind of leading up to that point, because we are always a result of, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, it's like a result of who you're working with. That's who you're going to attract other people like that. And if you're a person and you're hanging out with certain people, you're going to attract friends, more friends like that. So it's the same, you know, same journey when you're like leaving corporate and going into entrepreneurship. And this is where I'm going to say like my last kind of piece. Um, and this is the most important one. Don't listen to anybody. As they're getting on the bus? As they're getting on the bus. Don't listen to anybody who works in corporate. Why? Because they're never going to tell you. Because they're never going to get on the bus. That's why. They yell out the window. Why? <laughs> they're never going to get on the bus because they've got their like nine to five, you know, that they're marching to and they've got, yeah. and they're going to dream about getting on the bus, but they're never going to, they're never even going to show up at the bus stop. And so you can't listen to them because they'll always have an opinion that you shouldn't get on the bus, but they don't, they don't know where the bus is going. I do feel that is really powerful. You said that I probably have an opinion on it. Maybe someday if you're interviewing me, I can speak to it for an hour straight because I do have lots of opinions, thoughts, and kind of connections, but there's so much that goes into it, right? You can't do it in a five-minute bus conversation, but you did a very good job because that was super practical, but also balanced with like things that they maybe will remember for the rest of their lives, even though you've met someone once, which is pretty cool. The reason why people don't get on the bus has always fascinated me. One reason people bring up a lot is money. How do I pay the bills? Because the question that we always ask, as you did, was if you didn't have to worry about money, then what would your dream life look like? And I think that's super powerful in terms of activating the dreamer inside of someone and getting, well, obviously I'd play basketball or I would paint or I'd play guitar or I would do marketing content for companies that I've always appreciated. It goes on and on. You can get them dreaming. But then that next step is where people really struggle. And I think that's what where it comes into, like you were saying, just doing something small that you can do while you're still maintaining paying the bills. Yeah, I think it's like, it's twofold. So gaining that like confidence in yourself from seeing that you can, you know, make money doing that. So it's like, it's not just that reassurance financially, but it's like that dopamine hit of like, yes, I did it. Like I can, I can do this. Um, but I think the question is like, well, that I would ask people is like, would they tell me, you know, what it is that they want in their life? And I say, so what would you, what would you give to get that? And then, you know, there's oftentimes like people think that they can't exist in discomfort. Um, it's not actually about existing in discomfort. That's actually the easy part, you know, like not being able to get guac because it's extra or like skipping meals because are trying to like save money or, um, you know, eating craft dinner um, because it's the cheapest option. That part's actually like easy. It's what everybody else thinks that's hard. So it's like, what are what's everybody else going to think craft dinner? And you have to get to the place where you want your dreams so bad that you just don't care. Yeah, I love that. You've mentioned the idea of service first, and I think you've used the word impact at least three or four times. So this concept of having impact and serving and then the money will come later, I think is really important. Did you learn that from somewhere or is that something that you feel comes natural to you? I honestly think I was born that way. And then somewhere like the 90s tried to change me and like the early 2000s like shifted me in a direction of like, you know, the naughty audience 
the asshole materialistic, like, you know, I went into fashion and makeup and all of that stuff and kind of lived that life and saw what it was like. And ultimately, there was like this inner child inside of me that, you know, the same kid that really cared when there was a charity like at my school, we used to help out sleeping children around the world. And like in the third grade, I became like the lead of the charity in the school would like go beg the eighth graders for money on Fridays and like, you know, present big checks and make sure that kids around the world had a safe place to sleep. And it was so important to me. And I remember being so heartbroken once I thought my mom was like, so proud of me. You know, I was working at L'Oreal as an intern. I made, I was like, I was 20 years old. I was making a salary of $44,000, which I like think is so crazy for someone who's 20. I mean, you give whatever you work in tech, fine. Like, and that was a long time ago. What am I now? I'm two. So that was two, 12 years ago. Um, no, 33. Oh no, that's right. I just had a birthday. <laughs> Anyways, it was a happy birthday. Thank you. It was, but it was, a, I felt like it was a lot of money at the time. And I remember my mom saying to me once, I always thought you were going to be my kid who changed the world. And I was so unbelievably upset with myself that I was like chilling lipstick and, you know, at that time, actually, it was hair color, lipstick was late, I, whatever. So I just, I was so heart wrenched because my mom gave me kind of this like, it wasn't, she didn't mean to give me a speech. She just reminded me how much I like really, really, really cared when I was younger. And it like, it hit me really, really hard. And I remember like taking that and trying to activate like at L'Oreal. And I was, I was so excited because they were, they were pretty cool about letting me do certain things, especially if we had like extra products, you know, at the head office. I take a shelter and like, you know, things like that. Um, but fundamentally at the time, corporate social responsibility was sort of in its own bucket. It wasn't part of marketing. And I always saw that it would be. And I always felt like it was just like an important piece of the story. But it wasn't until very recently that it became so much more impactful. Um, but that's always been, I think, the foundation of, of who I am. And I'm I'm not sorry to say that I lost myself for a while, but I'm I'm really glad to kind of get back the sort of conviction that that I had. And I think it definitely going through an experience like what I went through, you know, with having a, a mental health crisis puts you back in a position where you start to think about that stuff again really, really deeply because you're like, why, you know, especially if you've been suicidal, which has been unfortunately uh, uh, something I've struggled with a lot, but you start to think like, what is it that's bigger? And if you work with a great therapist, they get you thinking about like the world. And for me, the reason why I went into cosmetics in the first place is because I got, I got bullied like crazy. And it was for me, it was like my mask. It was, you know, I could put cosmetics, like I was a dancer, have recitals, you know, I put a costume on and like my mom would do my makeup. I was 10 years old. Nobody could mess with it in the schoolyard. Like, you know, they beat the shit out of me and they did. And, and that's okay. Like it's what, it's like what made me who I am. But I think there's like fundamentally something that shifts shifts back and forth inside of you as a human and you have to get to a point in your adult life where you go this this means more than making money and if I live my life in service that and I like think about it that way first and I'm so convinced on my conviction and my purpose the money will follow because there are all kinds of people who align with having impact and all I think all of the most successful people I've ever met that's their first goal now is how do they make an impact how do they give back so when you like lead with that, especially when you're lower down in the food chain, you rise up very quickly because you help other people figure out how to solve like sort of the bigger problems. This is this went really deep fast, but that's kind of how I roll. <laughs>
But it's amazing because it shows all of the full picture or a lot of the picture anyways, not the entire thing, but in terms of that overall journey, which is so important because it would be easy for us to say like, well, give me your top four tips on marketing and your top two tips on building an NFT project and let's wrap and scene and publish that. And it's like, that could just be a little blog post that we share. Give. Yeah, exactly. Give, 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 give. That's my top four tips. Give, 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 give. Yeah, it's huge. That's it. Pretty much perfect in terms of building that foundational why, I guess, to use like a Simon Sinek term. You brought- Yes. <laughs> yeah, start with why. You brought up like school and being that volunteer charitable person back then. A big part of this podcast is like looking back at or giving advice for learning in general, right? That learning journey. So, so some people talk about university, college. Some talk about just learning on YouTube and some talk about high school or elementary school. But in general, going back to that, as far as like learning things that helped you in your entrepreneurial journey, how were you as like a student and, and what was school like for you back in the day? Well, it's, it's interesting because there's there's things that I was like really, really good at and then things I struggled with terribly. And in the earlier days of like being in school, it's because I was like this creative freak, you know, nobody understood. And I was such a perfectionist. I remember the teacher calling my mom in because I had a problem using my eraser too much. So I used to like grind through my paper because I would do it and erase it. Like it's that like OCD perfectionist thing that I remember like fourth grade, I got in trouble and they had to take my eraser away, which is insanity. When you think about it, that's why I love the computer. Like I delete as many times as I want. So I was a freak from that perspective. And I always was like very colorful, not just in my personality, but in the way that I present myself. Like I've always kind of just like marched to the beat of my own drum. And whether it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say fashion. I don't like the word fashion. I like personal style and personal expression. And so like, you don't make friends in a small town kind of being a bit like punk rock from the get-go like you know you're the one that's cast out cast aside I like what I like and I don't put something on on me you know whether it's um you know a piece of clothing or it's like a person I associate with or a brand that I attach myself to from a client to you know whatever work that I put my name on um I'm just like really really particular and that's when you're a kid that's not that's not celebrated you don't get gold stars for that other kids want you to fit in especially in a small town and uh I struggled because I was freaky deaky artsy and then I I was like okay well I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to tone that part of myself down I'm gonna turn the business side up because my parents told me well you don't want to be a starving artist if you want to make money in this world like you got to combine whatever creative ambitions you have with like academia and so I was like okay well I'm gonna go hard and on business stuff and, um, you know, I, I used to love science and math and there was something that like clicked in my mind, like in the midst of my emo phase in the 10th grade, I don't know what happened, but my ability to do complex math just like shut down in my brain, like completely shut down. Like I, I failed a math class, had to do summer school. I almost failed a math class in the 12th grade, still got into business school somehow, but failed stats in my second year actually wound up um, redoing that course two times and failing it again for whatever reason. Like I got like 97 in financial math, but like this one, the stats and data, like I just couldn't, I couldn't get through it. It was a complicated situation. My mom was really sick at the time. My teacher was like this huge, like pervert. Um, that's another story. But there was something that happened in my mind that just blocked it off. So I actually 
I don't have a university degree because I could not pass that course. I was one credit short. I struggled a ton. You know, I try to block out like a lot of, there's been a lot of like sexual harassment stuff and, you know, things I could go deep into that have made me like a, you know, women's rights activist. That's definitely one of them. I'm not going to go into the depths of it, but I'll just tell you, I still can't pass that course. And I still don't have a degree and my parents still write on me for it. And uh, it doesn't matter that I have a million dollar business and, 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 and. I didn't get my university degree, but I wear that badge with honor now because I realize there's so many people who they think that that's like make, what makes you who you are and what makes you successful. And it's not, it's not. I've been through it. I have the alumni network. I don't use any of it because I went and forged my own path. So whatever, whatever you're struggling in, like my husband is the best marketer I've ever met. He never went to school for it. You know, he went to school for audio engineering and he's like a billion times smarter than me and gets hired by people to run their marketing and just never went to university. So like uh, schooling does not, it does not matter. It's like how you learn the lessons in life, whether it's YouTube or a mentor or, 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 or like, it's not that I don't celebrate education. I'm just saying do not value yourself. Do not place that weight on like where you went to school or what your degree is. It does not matter and it will not matter even more than it doesn't matter now. Decreasingly mattering, that's for sure. Totally. One thing I was going to ask was you mentioned YouTube, I think. What is a way that you prefer to learn? I read every day. My dad, uh, unfortunately, my dad now is has early onset Alzheimer's, but he was the smartest guy I, I knew for a very long time. He always told me because he was a stockbroker and incredibly good in investments and advising people on investments and spotting founders early on. So I learned that from him. Um, and he told me to read the news every single day because every investment tip you'll ever need to know is is right there, black and white. And so I'm obsessed with um world issues, current issues, you know, whether it's like here in our home country that are around the world. Um, I look at specifically news in my various industries. So for me, what I pay attention to, I mean, these days, it's like mostly what's happening in NFTs and, and crypto, because I've got just a lot going on that's like high, high stake in those projects right now. Uh, but I pay very close attention to e-commerce, technology, anything in like the blockchain space. I always am like up on the pulse. And I like to know from like a fashion and beauty perspective, these are multi-billion dollar industries. What are they doing when it comes to innovation? And then also on like a marketing and branding side, how are we keeping up with? So those are my like big news topics of the day. And then personally, I like to read a lot about mental health, and like self-improvement. Um, I like to read a lot of... Uh, stuff about women's rights and activism. Um, and, and those are kind of my like my beats that give me the pulse on what I think I really need to know to, to make decisions on a daily basis. And YouTube, obviously, like I, I get down those rabbit holes and I'll tell you, you, you know, like they change all the time, whether it's NFTs and I watch those till four in the morning. The other night it was like all Pixar stuff. And like some Steve Jobs interviews from like, you know, 20 years ago that I was like, okay, I think he's like the ultimate futurist. I consider myself a futurist. I'm always thinking like five, 10, 20, 30 years ahead. I love to look back at what people said with such conviction when they're being interviewed and everybody's like pushing back on them. How do they debate and how do they speak truth to what they know it will be reality? And did it come true? And that's my, that's my favorite kind of content to watch. 
That's amazing because that's how I feel in reference to what you mentioned about becoming a starving artist. Um, at my exit interview uh, annually, two years ago now, when asked about like what I wanted to do in the workplace to improve my skill set, you know, that sort of traditional question, I said, it doesn't really matter because I'm going to become a starving artist. Like that's my number one goal in the next couple of years to achieve because I want to have that 100% focus on the creative. And so the more times that I say that in an interview, I love it because then I'm going to be able to to look back on that moment and say, look, that's the level of conviction that happened very intrinsically. Like, it's not like I'm just making it up. It's going to happen. I didn't want to gloss over the topic of you were mentioning the um, in terms of women's rights and going through those struggles yourself. For me, as someone who's really worked with a lot of youth in uh, women's shelters and have so many stories and have helped women write down their life stories when they really struggled to put pen to paper in dealing with all their trauma. And I have heard many, many stories stories. I don't want to go into any of that area, but I am curious. You mentioned that that's your mission that you wear with a badge of honor. If you did put that mission into words that maybe one of those girls may be listening to, what is that mission? First of all, we've, we have to look out for each other, but in a way that is far, far deeper than I could ever just explain on a podcast or like any sort of just interview. It's like the kind of conversation that could only ever happen behind closed doors, one-on-one with a woman who understands. And I feel like when I say a woman, I really mean every woman because I don't know any woman that I've ever spoken to that hasn't gone through some sort of like sexual harassment or something really traumatizing. I think for all of us, it like, you know, it differs on the level that you've experienced. It was very strange. The year that it all really surfaced was the same year that I was a founder of a cryptocurrency and, you know, delved right in deep to the most male dominated space I've ever existed in. And I, like I started my career on Bay Street, which is Canada's Wall Street. I worked in, you know, in marketing for investment banking first. And so I, I dealt with that kind of like shitty Bay Street attitude and then worked in, you know, tech in Silicon Valley and sort of saw how like that mentality was. It's like the women are there for like the marketing and the party planning. And I've seen that side, but crypto was like the worst of the worst of the worst. There were so many, it's a 24, 7, 365, every country in the world kind of industry, even Wall Street. It's from nine to four that you trade stocks and then the stocks don't trade after that. It's, it's always happening. And people's lives as founders of cryptocurrency are far more under the microscope than anybody else who's in like a public normal kind of corporation like funding. So it's a very strange place to be. And as the only woman that was on that team, I was... (laughs) privy to a lot of like, just like crazy shit that I didn't think would ever happen to, you know, an independent Canadian woman, you know, I've got, I've got a great career behind me, but the respect kind of, it's not like it just faded away. It's like, it just wasn't there at all. And I had to really fight super hard for that. So that was like very catalytic. And then right before, as that was happening, sort of around this time, four years ago, that was when the Me Too movement really picked up. And that brought up a lot of things, you know, um, from my past, I, and I'm like, don't want to make you uncomfortable, but for your audience's sake, like, um, you know, I was, uh, the, the, uh, I don't want to say victim, but I experienced, you know, a whole incident and issue with one of my best friends, um, who 
I will, I will never, I will never forget. I will never live that down. I will never forget what he did to me. I will never forget how it changed me as a person. The, all of those things, you kind of bury them, especially like, you know, when we were younger, it wasn't like, you didn't talk about that stuff. You just really didn't talk about this stuff. It happened to me right before I went off to university. And like, I wouldn't tell my friends or my family, I wasn't going to get the police involved. I wasn't going to do any of that because I didn't want to ruin his life. And that was my big worry. It was like friends for so long. I wouldn't ruin his life. Um, but it ruined mine for a long time. And I let it. I let it. And then it all kind of came back up during that movement. And so there was like this anger when I got into the crypto space and do and say things. And at events, like I felt like a piece of meat so many times. And like even I would, I would be the keynote at an event and I'd have a man come up to me after and say like, how dare you say such a, to my face. It was just outrageous over and over and over and over again. And so it lit this fire that I wouldn't have gone out and sort of put myself in the spotlight like that to tell my story had I not been pushed to the edge and beyond. Um, because I was like, I can't let this happen to other women. And I have to I have to show other women that like you you can fight back, you can be brave, you can take back the narrative. And that's when I got involved with I've served United Nations. I've been advising the partnerships office for four years on blockchain and specifically financial technologies that will help empower women and really change them for the future. Because I'm not just about having conversations about why people should donate to women's causes. That's really not my shtick. My thing is like how women can be financially empowered and independent. So they can make their own decisions, their own situations, because whenever you have to rely on somebody else, it doesn't matter who they are or what their gender is, you've already lost. You've lost the negotiation. So women need to be in a position where they're not just winning, but they're women don't just win, right? They they create so much value and so much love for other people. So if you invest in women and they become powerhouses, they're going to keep investing in these and flourish in, in situations that this world can't even imagine because we've never given women this power. So I'm like, let's not just give women this power. I'm like, let's, let's have women create this power and this movement for themselves. And so I've been a part of that for the last four years. And I'm, I'm very proud to be a very vocal activist in the fourth wave feminist revolution. And I genuinely like I would die on the I would die on the stake for that. That's like that's my ultimate cause. It's amazing. And I'm sure there are many advocates of that mission for you. But as someone who's taught in an all girls school and being a dad with two daughters, it is even more special to hear. I mean, I know there are so many great role models with, in one way, sadly, the similar stories, uh, but in a more important way, really powerful stories. And so I'm excited to see every direction that you take this with. And one of those things is NFTs. So I want to put you on the spot right away and ask two definitions because people listening to this will have heard the term for the first time, both of these terms. So how do you define blockchain? And then what is NFTs? Well, when people ask me to define blockchain, I have like two answers. One of them is, you know, a distributed immutable ledger, which is my super in intense tech finance definition. And the other one is the future of trustless transactions. And I feel like that's my like human definition. Imagine if you could do business without a lawyer or a real estate agent or a banker, because there is code that makes sure that that contract actually goes. And that is ultimately like what got me so excited about NFTs actually be built on Ethereum, which the whole premise and the theory theory for Ethereum is if this, then that. 
that's a smart contract. Like if this happens, that happens. And if life were that simple, my God, we would all just be, we would be so much better off. When I first discovered like the technology of smart contracts and the idea that, okay, if something is non-fungible, so it means it's unique, which I get because I'm unique and I never fit in. So I'm like, okay, I'm non-fungible. This is non-fungible. I get that. Fungible in in comparison would be like if I could, you know, pay for something with $5, I can use a $5 bill. I can use, you know, if you're Canada, two toonies and a loony. I can use a 20 and get 15 and change. It doesn't matter like what they give me when they give me change for my 20. They can give me a 10 and a five. They can give me three fives. It doesn't matter. It's all fungible. It's the same. But if I sell my house, which I hope I don't sell my house because I actually haven't even gotten it yet. It's new, but if I sell my house, it's non-fungible. It's one of a kind. It's like, you know, it's not like the other ones. Even if it was, even if it was the same as my neighbor's houses, what makes it non-fungible is the fact it's its own, you know, unit on its own property. It's like, it's something, a one of a kind guitar like behind versus a guitar that's the same as all the others. So an NFT really is, is a representation of that digitally. What we're talking about specifically right now is like, you know, NFT and why we met, how we connected is NFTs that are kind of blowing up to space right now. And they're JPEGs, which are literal digital representations. And they are the literal like digital art versus being like a token for like a one of a guitar or whatever. Yeah. And NFT as we're, as we're discussing now, and as the phenomenon relates to are these like, you know, pictures, pieces of art on the internet that are one of a kind, they're completely unique. And I think why people, not I think I know why people are buying them is because they're a representation, just like fashion, just why, just like why we choose to wear, you know, a hoodie or like black or silver or whatever. You're representing something that's going on inside you, inside your heart, and you're representing that physically manifesting it physically for other people to see. And as we spend increasingly more time online, and I think as we like enter into what I believe will be like a a ready player one kind of scenario, you know, in 10 years from now, um, what we look like and how we represent ourselves in the digital world will become increasingly more important and less important of what you look like physically, more about like what you have online. And non-fungible tokens ensure that whatever you're representing online is is the truth. If you're as into like PFPs, profile pics as you and I are, we would never like make something our profile pick if we didn't own it. But that's the future, right? As Twitter's like saying to us, oh, we're going to make sure that you own this NFT before you can use it as your display picture. That's what it's going to be like in the future. And as we get deeper into the metaverse, whatever platform you're on, or if you're like in the Oasis and Ready Player One, you're not going to be able to wear this silver hat online unless you own it and you bought it. Just like, you know, I couldn't wear this if I didn't have it right now. It has to manifest itself physically in the metaverse. So the NFTs right now, very much profile pictures, display or like art that people own, they can show off digitally. In the future, it will look more like, you know, me rocking these headphones and this hat in a digital space. So you can see me when I'm strolling through like, you know, Saturn's like strip mall, whatever. Like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
Yeah, there, I mean, there are so many use cases of them. It's it's pretty neat. Uh, this will end up, this section of the podcast is going to be the first episode of a show that I want to have just like a YouTube edit that really speaks to, uh, there's just so many uh, amazing people, a lot of snake oil too there. And that's why I would like to kind of ask that question. Oh, yeah. Yeah, about this idea of NFT projects, because that's a term that we hear a lot. So your project, Yondo Mondo, tell us all about what is that? I hate the word, I'm not upset at you for using it, but I hate the word projects. I don't do projects. I go in full tilt. If I'm going to put my name on something, I'm like, I'm betting my money. I'm betting my time. I'm betting my team. I'm betting my future. You know, I'm like all of these things. And I don't do that for a project. A project is like, I took up jujitsu this weekend with my three-year-old nephew. That's a project. Will I finish eight weeks of jujitsu? That's a project. Me pumping tens of thousands of dollars in my reputation into something, that's a, that's a bet on the future. That's a real company. That's a real investment. I'll preface it with that. And I think anybody who doesn't take that attitude is like automatically I put in snake oil territory. And maybe I'm, I'm terrible for that. But I think we're getting at a point where it's like, you know, those who came in early and did something amazing and maybe it was a project and now they're full time, that time has passed. Now the opportunists have entered the scenario. So if it's still a project for people, that's already like feels like a red flag. And so I, I got into this because uh, I, I have a deep background in cryptocurrency, which I feel like it sounds so funny when I say deep, but you know, I've been in the space actively working and had co-founded one four years ago. And so I sponsored a hackathon four years ago, the Ethereum hackathon. It was in Waterloo. For anyone who's not in, pardon me, in Canada, like us, Waterloo is like, was kind of our like first little sort of tech hub in Canada. And so it was like where people were really sort of watching. And Vitalik, who is a, a fellow Canadian, was actually there and judging. And a lot of incredible people were at that hackathon. And I met this group that I was super fascinated by because they had all of these colorful balloons and tie-dye shirts and they were like bringing cats to the blockchain. I was like, what does that mean? And I was so fascinated and I sat down with them at their little hackathon table and I was like, what are you doing? They're like, we're making crypto kitties. I was like, what are crypto kitties? And I was just, I was so hooked right from the get-go. And um, Benny, who was their lead, who was employee number 11 in a company called Dapper Labs was so kind, sat down with me and like taught me all about smart contracts. It's like, there's this like crypto punks thing. We're trying to do something really lighthearted and fun. That's like a cat version because cats and the internet go so well together. And I was like that they do. And their landing page before they launched on, it was the Rinkaby test network. Their landing page was like this live stream of like these cats playing at a cat cafe. Like it was just so funny. And I was so obsessed and I stayed up all night, you know, hackathons, everybody does stay up all night. I had set up like this candy booth where people could come get candy and energy drinks, which is like no surprise for anyone that knows me. That's like the kind of thing I would give out. And um, I had these like blow up red gummy bear chairs. I remember just sitting on these gummy bear chairs minting crypto kitties all night like like I started with $40 of ETH I had 98 I sold some of them I have 89 now so 89 crypto kitties some generation zeros and like you know a bunch of them that I just I thought it was so funny and I I was like this is 
this is what's going to hook the masses in is this this technology but the fact people can interact with each other so it was like that was breeding but it was you know it was minting it was minting new kitties and I learned about gas fees and you know at the time I remember some some of my gas fees being like we cents like it was like this is like early 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 yeah I, I was so excited by this technology and I messaged one of my investor friends who I told you about earlier Bill Tai and I said you gotta meet these guys like they're doing something special and I think there's like an impact connection and both of us thought right away could you put endangered species on the blockchain and raise money and like if this is a status symbol and you know art's a status symbol and like how does this all tie together and so he said to the guys who run Dapper Labs of Roam's the the founder but Benny also super involved who I connected to Bill. If you turn this into an impact project, help me raise money for charity, incorporate the UN Sustainable Development Goals, then I'm interested. So they did the first blockchain like NFT auction for charity in 2018 at Necker Island for this Hanu kitty. It was like a little turtle crypto kitty and it raised money for these endangered turtles. And that was kind of a very big, again, catalytic moment for the space and crypto kitties, you know, then again, sold at an auction for almost 200 grand. And so we were sort of involved in that early stuff. I realized, yeah, like this is the future. The future of the financial wealth transfer is for sure going to happen, not just in tech, but in specifically DeFi, crypto, blockchain, NFT. That's going to be the people who are early now in Web 3.0. Those are the billionaires and trillionaires of the future. So what are they interested in? Are they into these JPEGs? Well, in the last year, they're especially into them. So, you know, it creates a lot of very interesting business opportunities. And then for someone like me and for my co-founders of our, uh, in quotes, NFT project. <laughs> yeah, we need a new word. Yeah, company. It's a it's an entertainment empire. That's what I'll call it. Empire. That's a, that's a good word, empire. Yeah, these guys, I'm telling you, if you knew my co-founders... And they're the real creators. They're the like the real force. I'm like the hype woman. Just like I'm putting the the wind underneath their wings because they're the ones that are really going to run the show. Like I've got some really interesting things on the horizon, especially tied to impact in NFTs that I won't, I won't go too deep now, but some exciting stuff happening. And these fellows though, they're building the next Pixar. So when they approached me, yeah, it, it was like, okay. And I said to them, I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm in, I pulled a bill tie. I said, if you include the SDGs, the UN SDGs, you can't just give to them. You have to make it a part of your story and what they call the lore, like the real like purpose of why these creatures exist. If you make it part of the story, then I'm in. It's a very exciting project. I guess I could get to that next. What is Yondo Mondo? Maybe that's your next question. Yeah, I had an either or. I had an Ethereum like smart smart contract decision making there, but sh- that's a perfect spot to jump in. What <laughs> yeah, is Yondo Mondo? Another or. Yeah. <laughs> so like I was saying with the entertainment empire, I think the boilerplate says we're the next major animated universe or something like that. I don't know what my, my co-founder wrote it. I think Pokemon's in there. He likes to say Pokemon meets Star Wars. I love the ambition of pushing IP as far as we can. I What I do believe is these two, they're the Jasons. So the co-founders, the ones who really started it, the creators, the guys who had the idea, they found the artist, they got, you know, they put the team together. Uh, one of them is a really, really close friend of mine from the crypto space. And he was the guy I hired to do financial modeling on the cryptocurrency I launched. And like the guy I would take anytime I had a big financial question or economics of like walk me through tokenomics, etc. He's the one I would call. 
And we have this wonderful friendship because, you know, people say like making money changes you, but like losing money, like really, you know, if you go through that with people, because we were 2017, 2018, and you know, we've seen it all. And so we remember ETH at 170 and like having a drink over that. And um, that bonds you for like a way that people just don't understand. So when he messaged me in July and said, I'm launching an NFT, I was like, no way, because he's so smart, so brilliant and so skeptical. That's why I really, really was interested because I'm like, okay, if this guy's doing it, it's got to be good because he's just like, he's like that pain in the ass. He's like the certified pain in the ass, no matter what you're working on, he's going to find a problem in it. That's him. That's his thing. So I was like, okay, if you've got an idea, it's going to be damn good. And then he goes, yeah, I'm working with my best friend forever, Jay Jacobs, who's a VP of product at Goldman Sachs. And I was like, shut the front door. And I was so fascinated because I was like, what the hell is a VP of product at Goldman Sachs doing launching an NFT project? And he goes, well, he's the best product guy I know. And he's my best friend. And just so happens back in the day, he launched a number one selling children's education entertainment video game. And I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. He goes, yeah. And then he worked at the startup and they got acquired by Goldman Sachs. And So he's worked at a startup, but then he's also worked at corporate where they've thrown billions of dollars at a problem and he can, he can solve anything. And I was like, okay, I'll meet this guy. They, you know, at first they like asked me to get involved and I own an agency and like, I knew they didn't have like much budget. And at first I was like, okay, I'm going to do it for like some characters and I'll like work with them and see if I like the vibe. And I very quickly realized these guys are literally the next co-founders of like the next Pixar. And I was like, okay, hold on a second. You guys are great, but like, you're not Googleable. You need some like serious energy to get a brand going. And I said, the most important part here, based on not just my research, but my knowledge of the space is the most important part is community. You need someone who's like super excited, who's going to you know, get the party started and like be the first one on the dance floor. And you're not going to find somebody better than that than me. And, and you can't like, you know, they, they got no budget, right? They're trying to get an NFT off the ground. Um, you have no budget. You can throw like a bunch of money at it and then still have no budget. And so I'm, I was super excited, you know, once they were aligned with my vision of like, how do we create a lore that's around impact for Yano Mondo? Basically, it's a, it's an NFT project that I think has the potential to be the next Pixar. It's these creatures that are existing on Earth thousands of years in the future. And they have basically discovered this spacecraft that's landed on Earth that's given them a code to some of their DNA is on the spaceship. And they realize, okay, we, we might not actually be from here. We're from somewhere else. And maybe there's other things out there. And it ignites their, their sort of space race their journey into space. So kind of that fervor of like the 50s and 60s when humanity was just starting to like actually explore. That's what Yondo Mondo or or the the world of Yondo Mondo is going beyondos. They're about to go into space and their first mission is to the moon. And then they start to explore beyond. But the cool thing is everybody who's involved in purchasing this NFT and gets a Yondo in the first 10,000 will be able to help dictate, you know, not just where their future goes, where the adventure goes, kind of key parts in the entertainment story, but also what impact projects are supported. So the project itself is aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and it's very much centered in the deeper understory without 
ever batting anybody on the head and saying, you know, our world is <laughs> our world is crazy. No mention of climate change, no mention of anything political, none of that stuff. Just a realization these creatures are here many years in the future because we're not here anymore. So something went wrong and these guys are going to figure out kind of why and uh, what their purpose is and why they're here. And why they're here is like really a deeper exploration of like how could we have done it better as a human race. And Jason Stroll, my like good, good friend, um, he's really like the one, he's the, the real, the real creative visionary behind this idea. And um, Jason Jacobs is like is so good at translating it and of course adds on to it. But Stroll's vision is that science fiction is one of the great uniter of like it's a great uniter of humanity because it, it pushes our our thought process forward. And it historically has this incredible way of bringing people together and, and pushing the boundaries in ways that like you can't do in regular storytelling because it's the future and it's out of reach. And it brings you together with like thematics. And if you look at sort of the way that Pixar does storytelling and the way that the hero's journey is laid out from um, like a, you know, historical storytelling perspective, but also, you know, the classic Disney movies that I'm sure your girls love to watch. There's a thematic in all of them. It's like a deeper story. So the kids are taking something in, but the parents are also taking something in. And there's usually, I think, for everybody that goes to see one of the full animations, there's a bit of an existential, like, aha moment, whether you realize it or you don't, that touches your heart in a way that storytelling with people in reality on this planet can't. You know, it's just like these... These creatures can touch you in a way like they just they're so they're so cute unique, and they kind of like get in your heart and under your skin before you realize that they're like making an impact and have this bit of an agenda behind like why they're here. You don't realize that when you see them. And and I think that's what's really cool. So I'm like the, the biggest talker ever. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> You never have to apologize for that. The subtle storytelling of that whole sort of narrative is going to be really amazing to watch. Yeah. I do want to be, you know, respectful of your time too, though. And I do have a couple more like NFT type questions that I, I do want to make sure we we kind of help people out with because it's so funny the things that you're mentioning are so in line with a lot of the vision that I've had for an NFT project and or empire, if you will, in the future. Oh, cool. I've also been a big part of Deadhead since the day they launched, which has similar vibes and community right around storytelling and the whole idea of how allowing the community to have some decentralized decision making and, and that sort of concept like they're even it sounds like they're going to already be having some sort of Netflix sponsored version of the show and the people who own Deadheads as an NFT as in me or whoever else of the 10,000 people they are never going to have to give up the ownership of their IP even if this thing ends up in theaters and that's just such a cool concept so without talking too much about other projects or empires or ideas that I've had. I'm just curious about the very practical, like there are so many people who are probably listening to this thinking, oh my God, I would love to start an NFT project, but they didn't happen to have that Jason in their life. How do you start a building a team, I guess, and where should someone get started if they don't want to be part of the snake oil, they want to build something real and sustainable with impact, but they don't know where to begin when it comes to NFTs? I think like going back to where our conversation started, which was like, you know, four, four pieces of advice, marketing advice and NFTs or wherever in life, marketing yourself, brand as an, a future employee, as somebody who wants to be a founder, give, 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 give. 
That's it. Same for NFTs. So, you know, you yourself will know as part of the dead fellas community or deadhead, deadhead, deadheads. Deadheads, yeah, deadheads. with that one. Why did I say dead fellas? They're both That's good. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, but um, one of the things I've heard a lot about that community is how engaged and involved everybody is. And that's what push it, pushes that project word and like the value of that project. And so if you want to be a part of that ecosystem, you can help bolster that economy by giving first. And then that creates value that you can then tap into, you know, if you're part of that, you're going to be on the founders radars of, you know, as they're expanding and they want to hire and they become economically more powerful and have more resources, you're going to be first on the list. And I would say for anyone who doesn't like, you know, who doesn't want to like start or doesn't have the resources to start, you should be on a, a team first. Like, Join someone who's successfully doing this because the barrier to entry is so high. Like, I'm lucky that, you know, my co-founders, like one of them is such a technical product whiz and knows how to devs and engineers and manage artists. And like, I don't do any of that stuff. You know, he does all of it. I'm just like, I'm here to help build community, et cetera. Like, um, and I think you have to recognize too in yourself, what is your strength? What are your opportunities? I like to say opportunities because I don't, I don't love weaknesses because I, I think we can all like improve on those. But I think recognizing your opportunities helps you surround yourself with people who make up for those shortcomings. Um, and so like for me, I hire people who are like, highly organized, very left brain, are extremely good at like communication, getting back to people, all the things that I'm like, not, you know, not necessarily as good. Like my email inbox is a disaster. I get people to help me with that. Like this is, you know, as you get older and you realize what you're very valuable spending your time on and what is almost like, like a waste of your time because you're so bad at it. That's how I look at it. I'm like, oh God, I'm terrible at like, like I'm not much of a cook. So I like try to get a lot of my food elsewhere because it, it like would cost me too much to like be in the kitchen for two hours for the time it takes me to make like sloppy spaghetti. You know, it's just some things just don't make sense. So if you can be that superstar on a team, because any founder that's like really good has a lot of a lot of strengths, but they also have a lot of weaknesses because a founder is going to be very focused, like, you know, for like my co-founders, I think we all really represent a different area of the business. I definitely know I've got like the most emotional connection to people. And like, I just, I care on like a level that is like unshakable and they are just more like left brain and analytical and they, you know, move faster. And so it complements each other really well because it's like, if there's conflict because we disagree, it leads to a much better like resolution than if it would be two people solving the problem who think exactly the same way. So if you're in it, if you want to be in NFTs, like what are you, what do you contribute to the community? A lot of people are like, oh, I have to code. No, you don't. I have to be an artist. No, you don't. What are you good at? I, I spoke to someone last week on Twitter Spaces who was like, I, I have this YouTube channel where I'm like teaching people about NFTs. I'm like, so that's how you contribute. You do a YouTube show for the community you're part of, which shows, you know, to whoever's running that community that you care, that you put time in, that you're not just trying to get like a piece of flesh because that's the other thing. You know, when you start to make it in this space, it gets really scary when everyone's DMing you and they, everybody wants something. Everybody like, everybody wants like their piece. So you don't know who you can trust. And that's, again, where the giving comes. Because if you start by giving 
versus asking or taking. You build up a lot of trust and goodwill and good karma versus coming in and being like, you know, this person's successful, so I want to take whatever, whatever, whatever. Like if you're an artist and you're into creation, it's really easy to mint an NFT. But I think that the difficult part for a lot of people is like the community management. So how do you how do you tap into not just that burden, but that joy of of interacting with an audience? Because, you know, we all have sort of up and downs in the creative space where it can be difficult to like sustain, you know, a discord 24 seven. If you're an artist, that's probably not a good place for you to be all the time. Right. But it's an important part of NFT companies, projects, etc. Um, so, yeah, I think like no matter who you are involved and then you can take the knowledge you have from there because it's still so early and then start your own thing. But you need that. You need the foundation. You need the knowledge. You need the connections. And you probably want to save like a whole bunch of ETH because... You never know what's going to happen. Like you could launch something, spend time, which is money, spend money, which is also money, despite, you know, the government's, uh, <laughs> the government's efforts to make it worth nothing. Thanks, Fiat. But it's going to cost you something, right? Like it's going to cost you time, money, ETH, whatever it is. So yeah, figure out what you're good at and, and how you can give. I love that. I think it's pretty much a mic drop moment, the idea of give, give, give. I will ask the theme questions that I ask everybody, but before I do, is there anything that we might have left out that you'd like to just make sure that you you got in there? Oh, no, like I'm I want to stay I'm very much focused on who your audience is, like from your description that you gave me and like kind of the chats we had, so I'm speaking very much to what their thought process would be. I have no agenda of my own. Like, this is like, how do I, you know? We're so similar in that way, and I appreciate it. The first themed question is, this maybe ties right in, or maybe there's something unique, but it's always, if you were to give advice to that next generation, you're able to leave one piece of advice behind. What is it? This is very cliche advice, but reach for the moon, because even if you fall, you'll land among the stars. And that's my... My, that's what my parents told me growing up. It's my single greatest piece of advice. And, you know, it follows the theme of giving because I think even in a moonshot scenario, you can give all of yourself and like really take a giant swing and it'd be a huge moonshot. And just the fact that you took that shot has leveled you up so much as a human being that when you look around and you see where you land up, like even if you've fallen, you're with people that you never, ever, ever would have wound up with if you didn't take that chance. That's special. That'll help a lot of people, I'm sure. One thing that may be unique or surprising that you yourself are learning right now. The most important thing you need to remember is that it's human nature to want to show off when you're successful and you've had successes, especially when you're young and you're early on. But it's important to remember that no matter like who you are or where you've gotten to, it's always so important to eat your humble pie because you'll always be shocked at the opinion somebody else will build up of you based on what you put out into the world. So if you're too, you know, whether it's too showy on social media or, you know, you just conduct yourself in a way that that people are like they're gaining one perspective of you it's always important to like be very cognizant of that and and make sure that 
no matter what's going on, you're super humble because as you start to get more successful and this might come as a shock to people, like I feel like the inkling and what you want to do, especially as early entrepreneurs is be like, let me show off like all of my wins to everybody. But what actually ends up happening is you become a target when you show off, you know, all of that stuff. You don't become a target of good energy. You become a target of, of jealousy, envy, you know, misunderstanding, confusion, all of those kinds of things. It's really important that, you know, as you continue on in your career, no matter what you do, whether it's small or it's large, that you remember, especially on social media and in the digital world, to stay grounded and stay humble because people will will size you up very, very quickly and you'll be shocked at the stories they make up when you didn't even say anything. You have a knack for bringing, you know, psychology and philosophy and all these really helpful things into sometimes people answer that question with like how to cook guitar, you know, something that they're learning. And it's so interesting that. uh... Oh, God, (laughs) I mean, jujitsu. There you go. That's right there. Jujitsu with my three year old nephew, tiny ninjas like, you know, I'm. I'm learning self-defense as a three-year-old. Um, so there's my answer, you know, for that side. But my real answer is like, is is what I told you. It's how shocked I always am. Like, you can't, you think like, oh, it's going to be cool if I post that, like I drive a Tesla, but like people aren't going to be happy for you when you post that. And it's like, it's really hard to understand that as a human, but you have to know that like going into the the next phases of your life that you have to be so careful with your narrative, especially online, because that's where we're all living. And now that's the case if someone just posts a PFP. Yes. I've already had that start to develop with the rabbit that I've had as my PFP. Since yeah, you're a V, friend. That rabbit was only worth a few hundred dollars and now it's worth a lot more than a few hundred dollars. Right. That narrative has changed. The community narrative hasn't so on and so forth. But it, that's, a, that's a great point. I love that point. Uh, that's really one of the most important things for sure so much value in this conversation but that will really help people because there is a balance between sharing your journey and being equipped to be able to deal with sharing that journey and it's just we could talk about that forever but we won't if you were to ask me a question and you're really strong with branding and marketing so this is a good way to frame it it can be hard when i'm so close to my personal content and what i share if you had a question for me what would it be when you when you had daughters how did your view of the world change I love that these questions are always so unique and I can't wait to thread them together someday. I I mentioned earlier that I could do a whole podcast on a topic and this is the same thing because uh, interestingly, our oldest is adopted. She's adopted through um, foster care system and had a very traumatic early years experience. And that's the reason why I was extra on the spot with that question because we knew her prior to her becoming our daughter. And so I suppose when starting to fight for her to become our daughter is when our world's really changed. And I think that's maybe how we see love defined in poetry or the movies or all these things, right? Something way bigger than ourselves or bigger than any paycheck or bigger than any project you might build or empire you might build. It's just so much bigger. You can't really explain it or put it into words, right? Which makes it very hard to answer (laughs) with a legitimate answer because you can't put words into it. 
it. And the other thing that comes to mind, I suppose, is I made a poster when she was first moved in with us, have it for both daughters now, I just got on a Photoshop and made this thing that said kind, caring, awesome, and creative. It was like a four piece kind of like four squares. And I wanted that to be on her wall. I was like, I don't care what else we have in terms of decor forever. But you know, if she could uh, live out these four values, it would be pretty cool. So I guess those two things. And then the last thing I'll say, and I give people advice this when they struggle to create social content, I'll often say that here's my hack. And I feel this way anytime I put a video on Instagram, if it's a short story or I'm building an hour long YouTube documentary, I say, just create as though you're leaving a legacy for somebody. And, you know, in case you're gone tomorrow, it makes it way easier to overcome the nerves and all these sorts of things and just create. I think that actually became the case more intrinsically than extrinsically before, I suppose. That's the short answer. Oh my God. I can't wait to hear the long answer over like drinks one day. Um, yeah. Anybody who can't- We'll do that. Yeah. You, if you can't see me, I'm, I'm all teary-eyed just- feel in the feels of that story. And I'm like already hit with all the vibes. I can't, I can't wait to dig in more one day and meet her. Oh my God. Yeah, that'll be fun. And when you brought up earlier, the idea of walking to the beat of your own drum, this is her through and through. And what flashed in my mind, I almost got sidetracked because I was going to say, I wish I could show you a picture right now, but I don't have my phone. And it was, she came home from school last week and she had taken scissors to her pants and cut them all up. And you know, you kind of catch trouble for certain things in educational institutions, sitting in desks and being quiet. And that day she said something else that just was like, hit me over the head in terms of why I need to, to be successful with this creative pursuit is to be able to help her and many other more like her uh, as much as I can, because her teacher literally said that you might not be able to sit near the window because you keep looking outside. <laughs> That's a quote that you get too distracted because you're looking out the window. Like, isn't that kind of sad and fascinating? Oh, that, that happened to me actually in the seventh grade. It's the seventh grade I was looking out and I, I, I get visions like constantly. Um, and I remember like literally same thing. I got moved. I got moved because I was like, you know, looking at the sky, I could just, I could see, I could see the future, but nobody else could see it, you know? And it's like, they, they think you're crazy until they know you're crazy. And then they're crazy not to believe that, you know, what's going on. And yeah. that's, that's where your, how old is your daughter? The, the one who's eight, eight, eight okay. and three. So, yeah, eight. so eight's like, that's where that's where you're really like you're really starting to really become your own person and society's starting to fight you and the more the closer she gets to becoming a young woman the more they're going to try to take that away from her and it sounds like she's got the spirit she's going to fight back and you got to you got to stand beside her and stand tall when she does cuz it's not going to be easy but it's always going to be worth it and fun a lot of the time at least always fun for sure <laughs> with that one i can tell if she's chopping her pants up now she's going to be a blast <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I said, we could go on about that and we will someday because yes. there's so much that comes into it and I, I have a hard time. I, we could, I could talk for hours. Oh my God, I know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, I've taken, taken your whole Sunday night because I'm having so much fun. Well, 
listen, as the host of this show, it's interesting because, you know, when I consult for somebody else wanting to start a podcast, let's say they're asking me like, oh, how do I get started? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's so interesting. A podcast could be a two minute show. It could be, and you look at Joe Rogan talking for three hours yeah. and some people everywhere in between. And so it's this interesting thing. I've typically been about a, around an hour. I think that's a good number in terms of going depth, but also having, you know, practical. But to me, I'm just kind of like, whatever, whatever works. So it's great. It's really appreciated. I mean, you, you have like the most important show in the world as far as I'm concerned because of, you know, who your audience is. Like I've come from a family of, you know, I've, there's a lot of addicts in, in my family, a lot of people that have gone through really tough times who've, you know, um, lived out like what feels like a nightmare. And sometimes those like, not just sometimes, those always can make the most beautiful foundations for new stories. And so, you know, I'm, that's why I'm so excited to sit and chat and talk to you and be like super honest and vulnerable and say a lot of things that I wouldn't say anywhere else because I know the people who are listening are going to appreciate that honesty more than they would appreciate me sounding like polished and like it's been easy. It's been it's been rough and it's still hard a lot of times, but um, if you stick to like your conviction and your purpose, which everybody who's listening to you, I think fundamentally that's like your brand and what you stand for. And uh, I'm just like so honored to sit here and talk to you about all of that. Not everybody wants to talk about that on a Sunday night. You gotta be a special person and wanna like have this conversation. And you know, it's, it's not easy. Now you're going to make me cry because I could talk about oh, addiction oh, and yeah. mental health and the opposite side of mental illness and everything that goes into that and, you know, pay tribute to former students and all these different things. But we'll do episode two someday and uh, that'll be a lot of fun. You guys got to come, you got to come visit and we'll film a little show here and we're only like four hours away from each other. So yeah, that'll be awesome. We'll plan something up. Look forward yeah. to it. Uh, in wrapping, I'll ask where and I suppose why would people want to find you online? Why? I have no idea. I don't know why. Um, if you like a, if you like comedy and honesty and uh, inspiration, I guess. Like I used to be an aerobics instructor, so that's like fully ingrained in me. So I'm, I'm like a daily pep talk. But I love Twitter for like engaging, especially in this NFT community. And like I find it, you can have some really lovely conversations. I love Twitter Spaces, and I love LinkedIn too. I, I can be notoriously hard to reach. I don't mean to be. I just have like a billion messages every day. So I I apologize in advance if that is the case. If somebody DMs me, it's like so awesome we're doing this. I can get like overwhelmed and very anxious because especially working in crypto, you just get like a ton of people reaching out and it kind of gets weird sometimes. So I can, I can be a little tough sometimes, but you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn primarily. And you can also like ultimately, you know, stalk me on Facebook and Instagram if you like you can Google me and what about for MVM is that easy to find oh god is it I don't know I I should have updated our website ages ago our problem is we have like too many clients and too much going on to care about like it's it's terrible it's like the worst thing in the world like you shouldn't be a marketing company with like a bad brand I just like it's like me who you know does the website and all that stuff and I just am like oh you got so many clients that need to update it. Yeah, you could, it's, I don't know. I think it's like mdm-inc.com. I might've changed it, but if you find me, you can find it somehow. Google, I don't know. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, that's great. I appreciate you doing this, taking the time and you're a great role model to anyone in entrepreneurship. That's for sure. And so I just want to say a big thank you. Thank you. This was so nice. And I would, I wouldn't want to spend a Sunday night with anybody else. Thank you. Thank you. What an amazing episode. I hope these really help you or someone you love. It's hard to get all the stories out to the world, so please do pass it along. And if you have a request for anyone you'd like to hear from on the show, just reach out and let us know. Thank you to our guest, Kelsey. She's a great leader in entrepreneurship and above all, a great person. It's our goal to have this help millions of people. So please do subscribe, leave reviews, but most importantly, pass it on to someone who you think may benefit from the show. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning.